I'd like to welcome to our Sunday morning service, and especially those of you that are joining us by the way of the internet. We thank God for your presence. And uh, the title of the message is, Where Are You Sitting? Acts chapter 20, if you'd like to find your place there. I preached out of this passage many years ago as I was filling the pulpit, even right here at this church. And the pastor was away and asked me to fill the pulpit for him. And uh, never did I think that uh, or imagine that God would have me being the pastor here. And here I am preaching again out of the same passage. And I thank God for his faithfulness and for allowing us to be here. And uh, But the, today I'm not asking you where you are physically sitting. I'm asking that where are you spiritually sitting? And uh, many people have their favorite section to sit in when it comes to a sporting event. Some, some like diff- to watch from different angles. And even in church, some people like sitting in the back. Some people like sitting in the front. Some like sitting in the middle. And uh, I'm just glad I'm in. And I, I thank God for that. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 1, let's start reading. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him, said, uh, him, embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. I'd like to draw your attention back to verse 6 where it says, And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode Seven days. Uh, Even though it may kind of read like if you was just to take this one verse here, it may read like Paul was uh, taking a cruise. Uh, He was sailing through the Mediterranean Sea. But can I just remind you, Paul was not on vacation. Uh, How many of you have ever taken a vacation for a whole week? And uh, we have a family here that's visiting. And I thank God for the friendship that I have with them. But I, I believe they're here for a week. And you know, many people will come to Myrtle Beach for a week of vacation. They'll stay seven days, and there's many places where you can only rent if if you rent by the week. And me personally, I'd rather take my vacations in the mountains. And uh, but for those who live in the mountains, I, I would assume they like going to the flatlands of South Carolina, coming to the coast. And uh, but I'm sure it doesn't take long for them mountains to start calling back to them and want them to come back. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, a lot can happen while you're on vacation. You know, right, right here in Myrtle Beach, we, or, or even if you, you, you have the news articles that you read, and many people are abduct, abducted while they're on vacation. Uh, some people are shot. Some people are, are victims of, of some form of criminal activity. And, and people from other places, uh, even Myrtle Beach, they, they call Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach, Murder Beach. And uh, we hear of people, you know, here being involved in wrecks, and people will even wind up in the hospital while they're on vacation. And a lot can happen while you're on vacation. Years ago, uh, my, my family and I, my mom, my dad, my wife, and my two boys, uh, we took a vacation into Canada. And on July 1st, I mean, I'm talking in the dead, uh, in the dead of summer there, I mean, the middle of summer, it snowed. 50 minutes from where we were staying. I mean, I was shocked. And uh, and my dad had a head cold there and the whole time we were uh, on vacation. And my wife started to feel like she had some flu symptoms. And she was blaming my dad for getting her sick. Uh, but when we got back to the States, uh, we, we found out that uh, the reason that she felt sick was because she was expecting uh, our third child. And I praise God for that. But there she was blaming my dad for being sick, but it, well, he had nothing to do with it. But, uh, you know, when I was five, four or five years old, my parents took me on vacation to the mountains of North Carolina. And while we were on vacation, we had to stop at a gas station and we went in to use the bathroom. And when we were coming out of the bathroom, someone else was coming in at the same time. And, and I was wearing sandals there and, and uh, my big toe got caught up underneath the door and pulled my toenail straight up. And, uh, and we wound up having to find a doctor who, who would remove the nail. And I pretty much going to say our vacation was shot there. It was ruined. Uh, I'm just saying there's a lot can happen in seven days. Paul came here and he abode seven days. I've been on vacation before with my family and our vehicle broke down on the way to where we were going. And we wound up spending eight, nine hours that first day just sitting in a mechanic shop at a garage where our, our vehicle was being worked on uh, uh, back in the 90s, uh, we were coming from a, a, a vacation there in, in, in Gettysburg, and, and uh, we, we'd spent a whole week there in Pennsylvania, and, man, enjoyed our time there. We, we had a motor home, and, and on the way back home, we were about four hours from the house, and the electrical components on the engine caught on fire. <laughs> and I know what everybody's thinking by now is, hey, don't, let's not, don't go on vacation with the pastor, because bad things seem to happen. But here in our passage, Paul's not taking a vacation on a cruise ship. No, he's traveling for the Lord. And here, here we see that at this point, you could call Paul a church planner or an evangelist. And Paul wounds up at Troas, and the Bible says that he abides there for seven days. And look at verse 7 with me. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to, mark, to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Uh, Paul was at Troas for seven days, and what does he do? He goes to church. 
Hey, when we take a vacation, can I just say that God still requires that we go to church? Uh, we, we have visitors that come here in, in Myrtle Beach while they're on vacation, and, and I, I view each one of them as being the cream of the crop from the church from where they came from because while they're on vacation, they've chose to come to the house of God. And, and, uh, and I thank God for that. I thank God for their faithfulness to the Lord. And we, we've had many laymen and pastors uh, c- come through through here while on vacation and and um and they'll refer other people to come here as well and and may the lord help us to just hold fast and keep standing for old-fashioned preaching and old-fashioned singing and and may the lord help us to never compromise because if we did then where would all these vacationers go well uh, we, we are a church to the vacationers as much as we are a church uh, in to live to the people that live in our community and I, I think about one specific time when we were praying about uh, starting a bus route and we were going to look at a bus there and there was some folks visited a pastor and some folks out of his church were here on vacation and and a young man got burdened about the bus ministry right here. And, and he came to him and he said, uh, hey, preacher, I want to get, we're selling our house. And, and we've got earnest money that was given to us. And uh, and I, I just want to give you that earnest money. Once it clears and once it you know it comes to me, I'm going to make sure I send that to the church. Uh, I want to have a part in this. Uh, and God used that young man, and and God blessed that young man not only to bless us, but he went back to his church and they started a bus route. And and that young man called, uh, texted me just a few days ago, and he said our bus is running out of room. We need another bus, preacher. Can you help us? And, and uh, we're looking to where, where do you get buses at? And and uh, and I, I, I'm excited, but you understand that it was here that this young man got a burden that God started working in his heart. Uh, he was on vacation, but he was in church. Uh, hey, it's in church that God's going to speak to your heart about things and move in your life. You need Paul had somewhere of like faith that he could go and preach in Troas. Uh, hey, hey, he knew when they met, uh, uh, what day they had service. Uh, he went there fully expecting the Word of God to be expounded on. Uh, you know, when people come to our church, uh, they're looking for a church uh, that preaches the truth from the truth. Uh, they're not looking for a tickle your ears, little sermonette, uh, or for someone to read them a feel-good bedtime story. No, they want to hear preaching from this old King James Bible. They want to hear God-honoring music and God-honoring Sunday school teaching. That's what they're looking for when they come here. You see, Paul felt comfortable at Troas because they believed like he did. Hey, I can go to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, or I can go to the mountains of North Carolina and I can find some independent, fundamental, separated, mission-minded, King James Bible Baptist churches where I can take my family and hear from heaven. Oh, 26 years ago, we were in the mountains of North Carolina and we went to this little church called Mount Zion and and while we were there on vacation, God used that church and that pastor to help uh, me and my wife. Uh, and he helped us through the preaching of God's word. Uh, he preached out of Ezekiel chapter 16. And, and God knew exactly what me and my wife needed to hear. Uh, God used that message to encourage us then. And then five or six years later, God used that same message to help me write our first gospel tract that was handed out to hundreds of people. Can I just say a lot can happen in seven days?
Paul felt comfortable there because there was much light. Look at verse 8. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. It may have been midnight and dark uh, on the outside, but there was light uh, in the church house. Uh, it may seem like darkness has taken over our town. Uh, it may seem like darkness has taken over our homes and our country. Hey, but thank God there's still a place uh, where the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is still shining bright. The darkness of sin is raging Sodomy and transgenderism and drunkenness and drugs and lying and stealing and cheating and murders and brutal attacks on people for no reason are happening across our land. Churches all over have closed their doors on Sunday afternoons and Sunday evenings. They have no more Wednesday night services, no more soul winning. Many have embraced the devil's music. Many have turned out of the old paths. They no longer hold to the King James Bible. Yes, it's dark out there. But thank God there's a place where the light still shines bright. The gospel's still being preached. And the gospel is going forth. Missionaries are being supported and buses are still running bringing children in to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only were there many lights, but I notice here that there was unity in the church. Look at verse 8. It says, And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. You see that? Underline that. They were gathered together. They were there to hear from God. Hey, you know, when we come to church, our common denominator should be the fact that we come to hear from the Word of God. But you know, even in a good church, there are those who are not as involved as others. Look at verse 9. And there sat in a window a certain young man. That, that, that means this could be anybody. It makes no difference how long you've been saved. If you've been saved a week, you've been saved 40 years. Just a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Uh, hey, I wonder, is there any Eutychuses here today? Uh, maybe you're listening by the way of the internet. Uh, are you a Eutychus today? Uh, while everyone else appeared to be all in, they were gathered together. They were in the light. Uh, hey, uh, Paul was waxing eloquent there. and Man, he was preaching to the midnight hour. There was one. There was one that had wandered away from the others. He wasn't sitting on the front row saying, Amen, preacher, preach on. No, had he been sitting in the front row, this terrible tragedy would have never happened. Had he been paying attention and, and involved, uh, then he would have never fallen. Psalms 84.4 says, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. The saints of God have gathered today 
The lights were on this morning at 10 a.m. during Sunday school. Hey, the light is on right now as the preaching of God's Word is taking place. And there's going to be more light at 1.30 this afternoon when the preaching takes place again. And there's going to be more light on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And Brother Jonathan Hatcher from... Uh, uh, Connor Heights Baptist Church in Pigeon Forge is going to be preaching for us then. Uh, hey, this young man did not fall because there was a lack of light. Now the Bible says there were many lights. This young man fell because of where he placed himself. He sat in a window. Where are you sitting today? You see, he didn't fall by accident. He, he didn't trip and fall out the window. No, no, he suffered from a gradual fall. While everybody else was sitting in the light, he was sitting in between the light and darkness. He, he was half in and half out. He, he was straddling the fence. Oh, he looked apart. I mean, every now and then he probably raised his hand. Every now and then he may have said, every now and then he may have acted like he had a little life in him. You see, he wasn't all in, but he wasn't all out either. You know, we call that being backslidden. We think we're all right, but in the eyes of God, you're about ready to fall out the window. You know, he wanted the light. There's no doubt about it. He was there. I believe everybody here wants to be here, maybe except some children that got drug in here. But even you ought to be getting right right now. But you know what? He also wanted the darkness. I wonder how many Eutychuses are sitting in church today. Oh, you're here. You want the light. But something that grabbed your attention. You're not in the front row surrounded by the brethren where the light's shining bright. Uh, maybe you're no longer involved like you used to be or maybe you've never been involved. You, you just got in and sat on the window because you, you really didn't, you know, you really wanted to have your head out the window most of the time. You got your eye on the light, but you also got your eye on the darkness. I wonder what's got a hold of you. I wonder if it's a person that's causing you to sit on the window ledge and kind of be teetering in between the light and darkness. I wonder if it's a relationship. I wonder if it's some besetting sin or some lack of involvement. To, hey, what's keeping you on the ledge tonight or today? It's time to get out the window. Why? Because before it's too late. Eutychus could not blame the brethren. They, they were there. The brethren were there. They, they were gathered together. He couldn't blame a lack of light. Uh, the Bible said there was many lights. Uh, he couldn't blame the preacher. Man, it was Paul that was preaching. He couldn't blame the Sunday school teacher. He couldn't blame the music. No, he could only blame himself. Why? Because he sat in the window. He had an appetite for light, but he also had an appetite for darkness. And when he failed, did you notice he didn't fall into the light? He fell out into the darkness. You better be careful thinking that you can play church and think that you're going to be okay. 
Well, preacher, I, I just don't need all that light. I, I don't need Sunday morning. I, I don't need Sunday afternoon. I don't need uh, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I don't need to give my time and talents and treasures to the Lord. Well, hey, how about writing a book? Because the, the Bible says that you do need it. The Bible says that you need to even more than ever before. You need the light of God's Word. My friend, you're, you're sitting on the ledge and you will fall. Be careful thinking that you're going to be just fine because you're still teetering on the window ledge and you've been there for a while. You've been there for months. You've been there for years teetering on the fence. You better be careful. You better get in. You better get in the light and you better quit teetering because you, you may be able to stay for a while but you know what? Those in your area of influence may not make it. Your family may not make it. Matter of fact, there's a lot of Eutychuses who don't even realize the danger that they're in. He felt like he had no danger. He didn't see himself being in danger sitting in that window ledge. I mean, you've got to be pretty comfortable to fall asleep in a window ledge. You've you got to be pretty trusting to fall asleep there. But you know what? You're going to lose your balance sooner or later. You know, people are in the window, but yet they've already lost their balance. They're further out than they're in. They've already slunched over like it said Eutychus did. He slunched over and he is on his way out. Would you please examine yourself today and see where you're sitting because God knows where you are. God knows where he, knew where he was. Now the other brethren, they, they didn't really pay attention to Eutychus, but God knew right where he is, and God knows where you're at today. Eutychus had been through many services. This wasn't his first time going to church. He, but you know what? He wasn't always on that window ledge. Hey, where are you sitting today? Are you further from the light now than you were one, two, three, five, ten, twenty years ago? Can I just say it ain't the preacher's fault? It's not the Sunday school teacher's fault. It's not the music's fault. Hey, you're the one that puts yourself there. You're the one that is teetering on the edge of darkness and light. Who's got you distracted from the light? What has distracted you from the light? Why are you sitting on the window ledge? And here's the big question. Are you going to keep sitting there? I could tell you story after story of people who sat in the window for years thinking that they were fine teetering between light and darkness. Can I just say you cannot play with sin and not be affected. Mom, Dad, you better be careful allowing yourself to sit on the ledge because you may survive longer than your children, but I promise you sooner or later somebody's going to fall. If a mom and daddy falls, then the whole family falls. If a child falls, falls, then the mom and dad's going to suffer from that. Ask Lot, sitting at the edge of Sodom, then sitting at the gate, then offering his two daughters to the men of the city there, then getting drunk, then committing incest with his daughters. Oh, I'll be all right. I'll be fine sitting on the edge of darkness. You know, my family, we're good. We don't need more light. <laughs> we're, we're, we're good right here sitting in the window. We're fine. 
Boy, lastly, I want you to notice that the light came to where Eutychus was. God just say there's hope today? Look at verse 10. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till a break of day, so he departed, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Can I, can I say, wouldn't it be sad? Wouldn't it be sad that one day a preacher has to come to you and plead for you to come back to the light? Wouldn't it be a sad day? You see, as a preacher, I can't bring anybody back to life. But I can send you a lifeline while there's hope. While you're sitting on that ledge getting more and more comfortable in your distance from the light. Getting more and more used to the dark. I can shine the light of God's word on you and plead with you to get off that window ledge and get back in the light. Here's the title again. Here's the question. Where are you sitting today? Uh, it don't make no difference where you were ten years ago. Where you were five years ago. Where are you sitting today? Are you in the light? Or has someone or something drawn you away from the light? And, and right here, are you going to keep sitting there? God wants you to come to him. God wants you to get closer to the light. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, it says this, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. If you're going to come away from the darkness to the light, you're going to have to humble yourself. But if you choose to sit there, you just understand that God is going to resist you. God is going to resist you. The longer you resist him, the longer he's going to resist you. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Quit resisting God. The Bible says that we're to resist the devil, not God. It says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Would you humble yourself today and cleanse your hands? Hey, would you draw nigh to God? Would you let God lift you up? If you're not saved today, then God wants to save you. Would you come to him? Would you call on the Lord and be saved? Christian, where are you sitting? And how long are you going to keep sitting where you are?